chapter 40, 1 to 4, and 43, 1 to 11, and afterwards we'll read Revelation 22, the first six verses. But first of all, Ezekiel 40. Ezekiel 40, the first four verses. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was struck down, on on that very day the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me to the city. In visions of God he brought me to the land of Israel. And set me down on a very high mountain, which was a, on which was a structure like a city to the south. When he brought me there, behold, there was a man whose appearance was like bronze, with a linen cord and a measuring reed in his hand. And he was standing in the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears, and set your heart upon all that I will show you. For you were brought here in order that I might show, to you, show it to you. Declare all that you see to the house of Israel. And then we turn to 43, chapter 43, where we'll read the first 11 or the first 12 verses. Then he, and that is then the man in linen, led me, the prophet Ezekiel, to the gate, the gate facing east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And the vision I saw was just like the vision that I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and just like the vision I had seen by the Kabar Canal. And I fell on my face as the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, The spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple. And he said to me, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name Neither they nor their kings by their whoring and by the dead bodies of their kings at their high places, by setting their threshold by my threshold and their doorposts beside my doorposts with only a wall between me and them. They have defiled my holy name by their abominations that they have committed, so I have consumed them in my anger. Now let them put away their whoring and the dead bodies of their kings far from me, and I will dwell in their midst forever. As for you, son of man, describe to the house of Israel the temple that they may be ashamed of their iniquities, and they shall measure the plan. And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangement, its exits, and its entrances, that is, its whole design, and make known to them as well as as well all its statutes and its whole design and all its laws and write it down in their sight so that they may observe all its laws and all its statutes and carry them out. This is the law of the temple 
the whole territory on top of the mountain all around shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. And then we'll read Revelation, last book of the Bible, Revelation, and then 22, the first six verses. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will not need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So far the word of God. Let's respond to that word by singing together hymns 73, 1, 2, and 3. 1 to 12. Ezekiel 47, 1 to 12. And this is the word of God. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me round on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side, going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand. The man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee-deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist-deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live there where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Engadi to Englaim will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, 
but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. So far the word of God. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, you too, this afternoon will pay attention once more to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The sending of the Spirit, and it comes down to this, the sending of the Spirit means that people all over the world can come to life. This world in itself is a fallen world, is a desert because of the fall of man, because of sin. It's a desert, a spiritual desert. But the sending of the Spirit means that people everywhere can come to life again, can live for God through the proclamation of the word, have spiritual life, and spiritual life is eternal life. And that was prophesied in the Old Testament already, for instance, in the first part of Ezekiel 47, because this is actually a, prophecy of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Here we have a description of, of what that means for us too then. So this, this vision of our text is part of a whole series of visions which the Lord gave Ezekiel about a renewed temple. And that, that it starts in Ezekiel 40. We read there the beginning of those visions, Ezekiel 40. The prophet was remembering the 25th anniversary of the exile from Jerusalem, at the same time, the 14th anniversary of the final complete destruction of Jerusalem. And he celebrated that on the 10th day of the first month, which is kind of striking too, because the 10th day of the first month was the day on which the Lord in Exodus 12 commanded every household in Israel to kill the Passover lamb and to roast it and eat it. So it was a great day of atonement. It was a Passover it was supposed to be a joyful day, a day to remember God's deliverance. But for Ezekiel, it was a very sad day. A, a day to remember God's wrath over Israel 25 years before and the destruction of Jerusalem 14 years before. And all those were the result of, of Israel's sins. And that was why that mountain on which Jerusalem stood was basically like a desert but the Lord gives Ezekiel immense comfort on that day. In a vision, he takes him to that mountain. That mountain with a city on it. And there the prophet met the shining figure with a measuring rod. And he stood in the gate of a renewed temple. A renewed dwelling place of God among his people. He stood in the gate of that temple. All this is, of course, symbolic. It proclaims that God wants to live among his people again. He wants to return there. God's going to make a new dwelling place among his people. And the man of bronze measures that temple. And obviously the measurements are symbolic too. They show Israel what they had lost, but also what God in his grace was going to restore to them. All those measurements speak of the height and depth and length and width of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. This is all about Christ. 
and what he means for the New Testament church today. You can think of him. He broke down the, body, the, the temple of his body and built it up in three days again. By his death and resurrection, we could say he has renewed and deepened the relationship between God and his covenant people. And he has become the source of new life for his people. For by his death and his resurrection, he has obtained for them, and you'll hear that uh, next week in the, in the Lord's Supper form, by his death he has obtained for them the life-giving spirit. The Holy Spirit gives life. And that's what this text describes in the coming of life for God's people. The water coming out of the temple teaches us about the work of the Holy Spirit. That's our theme. And we learn about his work if we pay attention to where this water comes from, where this water flows to in the text, and thirdly, what this water does. So first of all, we pay attention to where this water comes from then. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the part of Ezekiel in which we find our text isn't always an easy part of the Bible to read and understand. But we shouldn't skip these hard-to-understand parts of the Bible because we figured, well, it's too much work to try to figure it all out. Now, studying these uh, chapters and looking up some commentaries and so can be quite rewarding um, when you're, when you're reading the Bible um, in these difficult parts. They show us especially in the difficult parts, they show us the the glorious benefits that we have in Jesus Christ. What a glorious thing it is that also that he sent his Holy Spirit to to us on, on the earth here. Ezekiel, you might know, was a priest, a believing priest. And that's why it caused him great sorrow when he saw the temple in Jerusalem defiled and destroyed. But now in this vision, he's shown this brand new, impressive temple built by God himself. And he even has a guide to show him around, let him see the size of it all, measure it all. Ezekiel has shown the rooms for the, the priests, the kitchens, the Holy of Holies, the altar, the temple courts, the temple gates also. And the temple gates are really important especially the east gate, as we'll see in a moment. But Ezekiel has also shown something else in that temple. At the south side of the entrance to the temple itself, he sees water coming from under the threshold, a trickle of water. It just bubbles out there like a spring and flows away from under the holy place in a little stream, a rivulet, and that small stream of water flows eastward across the inner court, past the altar, the great bronze altar of burnt offering. And that little stream of water then flows eastward toward the east gate of the temple. The important thing is that water was bubbling up. There was always water in the temple. There was a large sea because the priests were covered with blood when they had to make all the sacrifices. There was lots of water there. And the water also washed the blood down these, these gutters out of the temple. But this water flowed out of the temple by itself. 
And in order to show Ezekiel where the water flows, the special guide in the vision takes him out of the north gate of the temple and around the temple outside the outer court to the east side of the temple. And he had to go around the outside because the east gate was shut, sealed. And that's because that's the gate through which Ezekiel had seen the Lord enter the temple in his vision. Chapter 43, and and then he was told it was a holy gate. And it couldn't be used, and he was told to seal it. Chapter 44, the beginning of chapter 44, you can read about that. It was also the gate by which the Lord had departed from the original temple in Jerusalem in the first place because of the sins and idolatry of the people. They had defiled God's threshold then. And in a vision just before the destruction of the temple, Ezekiel had seen, earlier on in Ezekiel, he had seen the glory of the Lord depart from the temple out of the east gate. But in this vision... He saw him return by the east gate. And now God wants to live among his people again. And now this water flows from under the threshold of the temple and past the altar. God is back in his temple on his throne in the Holy of Holies among his people. And that under that that ark of the covenant is where God sat enthroned among his people But that is from where that water came from. That's where a priest made atonement for the sins of the people. And that's where that life-giving water originates from the throne of God's grace in Jesus Christ crucified. We read from Revelation 22. And there we're given another explanation of that source of that stream of water coming from the temple. It comes from God's throne in heaven, in that vision that John had. John is given that vision of the river of the water of life, and it flows from the throne of God and the Lamb, Jesus Christ. So you see, the the source of that stream of holy, life-giving water represents the grace of God in Jesus Christ, who died and gave his blood for us, Christ is the lamb who gave himself as an offering for sin, but who is alive again, overcame sin and death for his people. And therefore, he is the source of life for them. He is the sender of the life-giving spirit. He obtained the life-giving spirit by his death. And he is the source of life, the water of life. For his people. Let's never look for life. Outside of Jesus Christ congregation. With him alone. Is life. Hope. Everlasting joy. So that's the source of the water. God's grace in Jesus Christ. That's where the spirit. Proceeds from. With his work. Now we pay attention to where this water flows. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, a cubit is about a half a meter, and a thousand cubits, or around 500 meters from the east gate, Ezekiel is brought by that divine guide into that stream of water, and it's ankle deep. 500 meters further, it's knee deep. 500 meters further, it's waist deep. 
And finally, after another 500 meters, Ezekiel had to, had to stop. Couldn't go into it too far because it was so deep and the stream so powerful. He couldn't, he couldn't walk in it, couldn't cross it anymore. The stream that flowed out from the throne of God and the Lamb by itself grew quickly into a rushing river which you couldn't even swim across in that vision. What does that mean? Well, in the Bible, streams of flowing water are usually used to describe the Holy Spirit in his work. You can think of what the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 44, verse 3. He promises renewal for Israel, and he says in that verse, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. It's like pouring a whole pail of water out over dry land. In the New Testament, Jesus also speaks of the work of the Spirit in terms of water. John 7, 38, he says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him, from within him. And then it's added in verse 39, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So that stream represents the spirit, the holy, the life-giving spirit. And that spirit which flows out from the risen and glorified Lord, out from underneath the ark, the place of atonement, that water, that stream grows into a powerful river, which no man can cross, no man can resist if he is in that stream. And we see that, too, in the spreading of the gospel. It started when Jesus let his, let his spirit descend on those 120 souls in Jerusalem. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But it was just a little, little creek then, a little rivulet. But then once the disciples began to preach the gospel of Christ in earnest after Pentecost, the spirit worked more and more powerfully, like a strong stream. Through the gospel, he brought more and more people to faith and repentance. And the Spirit is like a river which makes a riverbed for itself through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you could read in the book of Acts, throughout the book of Acts, how more and more people come to faith in Christ. The water of the Spirit flows powerfully out over the earth. And it brings life in the desert wherever it goes. And that's what Ezekiel learns, too. His heavenly guide tells him, verse 8, where that strong stream of water flows. He says, it flows east into the Arava, into the Judean desert, and into the Dead Sea. And you know that the Dead Sea was a site of God's awful judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah for their sins. It was an accursed place, a, a lifeless sea of salt, no fish in it. Nothing could live there. It's a place where you see the results of sin. Sin results in death, in lifelessness. But look what happens in that vision when that river coming from the temple flows out over the land. It goes to the Dead Sea. It brings life to that place of curse and death. In places along the Dead Sea, even places like Engedi 
and Eglayim, where there had never been fishermen before, there he saw in his vision fishermen drying their nets along the sea. That powerful river from the temple in Jerusalem flows down to the Dead Sea, and that salt water where nothing can live becomes fresh water and a place of life. In other words, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, when it goes out, is life-giving, like a great stream of fresh water flowing into a salt sea. People who were dead in their sins and trespasses, lifeless, spiritually lifeless, and under God's heavy wrath are brought to repentance and faith and new life through the gospel by the life-giving spirit which Christ has obtained by his death and poured out over his church. And it streams out into the world. What a wonderful vision in our text congregation about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work of his spirit. Through the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, working through the gospel, people who are in themselves dead in sin and under God's heavy wrath come to repentance and to new life. When we come under the proclamation of the gospel and busy ourselves with scripture, word and spirit are like a stream of fresh water for our souls and our lives, which by nature are dead and dry. Oh, our sinful nature and the effects of sin can sometimes be pretty powerful in us yet. Hey, they, they can dehydrate us, our lives. Make them dry and dead. But, the, but from the Savior Jesus Christ, there comes this stream of life-giving water. He sends out his word and spirit like a powerful stream to renew people and give them life. And we need to drink from that water. Drink from that stream, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. That means be thirsty for that living water, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our life. Thirst for the gospel of Christ. Have to see how much we need the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ and the renewal of our lives by the Holy Spirit. We have to see our need for that. If we don't see our need for that living water, then we remain in the lifeless desert. Then we are lifeless ourselves. And you see that in Ezekiel's vision too. It says in verse 11, but the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. There are places, swamps and marshes, where that fresh water doesn't go through. And they remain lifeless. That means that wherever the channels of the spirit working through the gospel are blocked by human unwillingness, no life comes either. If we block out the powerful life-renewing work of the Spirit of Christ, if we resist the Spirit by not listening to the gospel faithfully, humbly, drinking it in, our lives remain dead. And we will not share in that vibrant and new life which Christ has obtained by his sacrifice. You see, congregation... 
If only we truly listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ and let the Spirit do his work in our hearts, we have life and we have it abundantly, even if we're dying. Physically, we have life in us. Outside of that spiritual life, there is only dryness, saltiness, lifelessness. You know, sometimes life outside the church looks so lively. While in the worship of the Lord and while you're serving him, it looks so boring and dead. Doesn't look like there's that much life in it, but congregation, it's actually the other way around. You can't go by appearances. Outside of Christ, outside of his gospel, outside of the church of Christ, it's actually a desert. And only with Christ and through his spirit can things come alive. Can there be a real, real life, a real spring in which things come to life. And that's something you need to learn too, young people. It can look so exciting, so alive and entertaining among people who don't bother with Christ and with his church. Especially with the entertainment that those who don't worry about the Lord look for too. Not too long ago I looked at a, a, a rock concert. A lot, of, a lot of lights and action and people jumping around and yelling away and, and everything. And it looks so, so alive, so entertaining. The congregation, it's dead as a doornail when it comes down to it. Don't be fooled by, by what so many call fun and excitement today. It's actually fluff, like the dry tops of the dandelions, which you, you see all around. They're dead and dry at the top. You blow on them, just gone, just like that. It doesn't give lasting life, peace, joy. It doesn't give real life. Only the Spirit of God working through the gospel of Jesus Christ gives life and joy and peace that never ends and that nobody can take away. Only by listening to the gospel, living out of it, drinking it spiritually, drinking it in, will you find overflowing life, eternal life, spiritual life. And that brings us to the last part of the sermon, what this water does. Ezekiel sees something else in that vision too. He sees fruit trees growing on both sides of that river. Fruit trees of all kinds, he says. And then the heavenly guide explains to the prophet in verse 12 that the leaves on those trees never wither, nor will their fruit fail, for they will bear fruit every month because of the water flowing out of the sanctuary. You know, imagine fruit trees bearing fruit every month. If fruit growers anywhere discovered trees like that, they'd be ecstatic. They'd want to hand, get their hands on those those trees. And the fruit is for eating, Ezekiel's guide explains, and the leaves are for healing. See, all this fruitfulness and this healing speaks of spiritual sustenance and spiritual healing inside. Sharing in the life of Jesus Christ, the life that he has obtained, which is eternal, in which he lives now. And he gives life, spiritual life, 
through his spirit, his word and spirit. And he keeps it healthy and vibrant through his word and spirit. And he does so on an ongoing basis. Every Sunday again, the river flows. And if you seek your life in Christ, you'll find an ever-increasing abundance of grace and comfort in the gospel. Like that water the prophet saw, which got deeper and deeper. The grace of God for you becomes deeper and deeper. You'll be sustained by and you'll grow in that grace and it'll restore you every time again. If you seek the life that is in Christ, you'll find abundant sustenance in the church of Christ. You'll find strength in word and sacrament. You'll find healing in it. And you will rejoice in those things. You'll find joy in that. It won't be a kind of necessary burden. You know, I've got to go to church again. No, it'll be a joy because you, you find the water of life flowing there through word and sacrament. This is where all the the fruits grow that give life and the leaves for healing. And this is where you can drink from the water of life. Actually, congregation, it's a kind of a prefiguration also of of paradise, right? In that vision of Ezekiel. It points to the New Testament, but also beyond that, again, to to the uh, paradise to come. In the first paradise, in the beginning, there, was, uh, there were trees, the tree of life, and there were those three rivers which watered the garden. God sustained Adam and Eve abundantly. There was abundant life there in paradise with all God's good gifts. And then came the fall, and they were chased out of that garden. It became paradise lost. But in Jesus Christ, it's paradise restored. He came, he died, he rose to free us from the guilt and power of sin and sent his spirit to restore paradise, give us abundant life, beginning now already, but fully in the life to come. And that's why he could say to that repentant robber and murderer who was crucified with him and who asked him for mercy, today, said the Lord Jesus, you will be with me in Paradise. Paradise. That meant even though that man was dying there on the cross. Later on he would have his legs broken and die in the dump. But even though he was dying, he knew in Christ, I'm already on the way to paradise. At one foot in paradise. And that paradise comes back at the end of the Bible then in Revelation 22. And there the Apostle John saw in his vision the new Jerusalem and the throne of God and the Lamb with the river of pure water of life flowing from it. And no longer any curse, he says. And he sees on each side of that river the tree of life bearing fruit every month as Ezekiel had seen and with leaves for the healing of the nations. Ezekiel's vision is actually about where everything is headed through Christ. That's where the Spirit is leading us. That's why he is watering us, feeding us, healing us, leading us to that place, to the new heavens and the new earth, to eternal life and joy and peace with God. And if you think about that, congregation, what a wonderful thing 
You can already drink that water here in the gospel. Wonderful thing to be in church today to where the gospel of Jesus Christ is central and is proclaimed and where God's grace is praised and the rivers of the water of healing and of everlasting life flow. What a glorious thing that in this fallen world, which is a spiritual wilderness. Just read the paper. The Lord has given here a place where the stream of healing and life-giving water flows and where you can drink already here and grow and be strengthened evermore in the sure hope of everlasting life and blessings and to be able to hope in paradise restored. That's where the Spirit wants to bring you. That's where he wants to lead you. And that's why Christ poured him out on his church so that the life-giving waters may flow deeper and deeper. Also here for us today. Amen.